Our Father, we do thank you so much for the Lord Jesus and pray uh, that we would hear clearly his words to sinners like us today, uh, that we would marvel at the wonderful gift of forgiveness uh, and that we would be willing to give up everything to follow him. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, I think I'm well and truly in the the stage of life where my kids have realised I'm not as great as they once thought I was. Um, I remember just a few years ago, one of my children saying to me, Dad, you went to the Olympics, right? (laughs) I did. I did go to the Olympics. I went to the athletics and the water polo and the triathlon and the shooting at the 2000 Olympics as a spectator. Um, But that's as close as I've ever been to the Olympics In fact, uh, I loved sport and uh, did a lot of sport in my school days and at a very mediocre level. There wasn't much competition at Springwood High when it came to sport and so I had the opportunity to do really whatever I wanted to sport-wise and one day I actually got to represent our school at at a district athletics carnival in the high jump and uh, I turned up at this athletics carnival to represent my school in the high jump and they said okay we're about to get underway here's the height you you have to jump to actually get into the competition great if I jump as high as I can I will go under the bar (laughs) right I didn't even get into the competition but here's my great fear my great fear is that outside of these four walls and maybe even inside are people who think that when it comes to a relationship with God that there's some kind of qualifying height, a bar that's set that you have to jump over before God will accept you. Or there are people outside these walls or even inside who think that there's a qualifying height that you have to jump to get into a relationship with God and it's super easy and I've already done it. So why would I need... Jesus. I think it's one of the great tragedies of church life is to hear people express either despair or pride in what they think is the qualifying height that you need to jump morally, religiously, socially in order to be accepted by God, in order to be part of the church, in order to know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And sometimes, I guess, people have that view of Christians because of our own hypocrisy, because of our own lack of grace. Maybe it's us who have suggested, maybe in the way that we live, in the things that we say, the way that we judge, the way that we exclude, that people get that idea that there's a qualifying height that Jesus demands we jump. Well, today we see and we hear the words of Jesus and he looks to these religious uh, types. I picture them with their arms crossed and their finger waving, standing over Jesus and the people around them. And Jesus has them firmly in his sights. Did you hear the words that he spoke to those religious judgy people? Verse 24 I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Verse 31, 
It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's Jesus' words for the judgy religious types with their fingers waving and their arms crossed. But Jesus spoke a whole bunch of other words in chapter 5 to the acknowledged sinner, to the humble outcast, to the helpless friend, to the repentant rebel. Jesus' words of comfort and assurance and embrace are extraordinary words that I want us to take to heart today. Whether you think that you've cleared the bar in your own effort, under your own steam, because you're better than other people, whether you think you've already cleared the bar of God's acceptance or whether you see rightly that the bar of acceptance is far too high and you can jump as high as you like and you'll go under it, I want you to hear and be assured by and comforted by the words of Jesus when he says, don't be afraid, I am willing, your sins are forgiven, follow me. Did you get those words? They'll come up on the screen, thanks Hamish. In those four episodes, Jesus' words to the acknowledged sinner, the humble outcast, the helpless friend and the repentant rebel, don't be afraid. I am willing, your sins are forgiven, follow me. Let's have a look then at the first episode where Jesus says to Peter, don't be afraid. Uh, Last week, if you were here, we we heard from Jesus. He is the the one and only saviour king of the world, the long-promised servant of the Lord who would come to rescue God's people and bring in God's kingdom. And as such, our expectation of Jesus is that he's here to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for the oppressed, sight to the blind. And we thought last week about the fact that Jesus has firmly in his sights those primarily who are spiritually poor, impoverished by a fractured relationship with our Heavenly Father, those who are spiritually blind, can't see the glory of God, and those who are oppressed under sin and death, the inescapable shackles that uh, bind all of us. And so our expectation should be, as Jesus proclaims the kingdom, that that's the sort of thing he does. This is his mission. And so we start to see him in chapter 5 come uh, in contact with those who are spiritually poor, those who are oppressed by sin and death, those who cannot see him for who he truly is. And so one day as Jesus standing on the lake of Gennesaret, we read in chapter 5 verse 1, people are crowding around to listen to the word of God as Jesus proclaims the kingdom. And it was so crowded that he ends up in the boat with his uh, disciples, Simon, uh, James and John and others. And when he would finish speaking, he said, put out, verse 4, into deeper water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, here's the thing. Jesus, the Bible teacher, says to Peter, the career fisherman, I know you've been at it all night and caught nothing, but let's go out again and I'll show you how to fish. Peter doesn't say to Jesus, 
Jesus, you don't know how to fish. <laughs> We're the fishermen. Just keep preaching the Bible. Right? Peter says, okay, at your word, we'll go back out. And Jesus, with all the authority of the creator of the world, brings the fish into the nets. Miraculously, in huge numbers, so much so that they had to use another boat to help them bring in the catch. And I don't know, what would you do confronted in that situation if you're Peter the career fisherman been seeing the miraculous power of Jesus the Bible teacher? How do you respond? Is it party time? Are you yelling from the boat to everyone, check this out? Are you kind of high-fiving those around you? Look at the party that we get to be part of. No, Peter, like almost every person in the Bible, when they come face to face with God, collapses under the pressure. Recognising the truth of the situation, that he's in the presence of God, that he's in front of someone who's so um, perfect in his holiness, that he has no business being there. Get away from me, Jesus. Knowing the reality of his heart, I cannot be in your presence. I am a sinful man. And all week as I've walked around with the words of Jesus kind of reverberating around my mind and heart, I've been just struck with absolute, I don't know what the word is, amazement at the way Jesus responds to this recognition of Peter. Peter's hit the nail on the head. He's totally sinful. Jesus is totally perfect. He has no right being there. And yet Jesus doesn't say, you're right, Peter, what are you going to do about it? Jesus opens his arms and says, don't be afraid. Because Jesus is the servant of the Lord who's come to bring freedom for the oppressed. Those bound by the shackles of sin and death, Jesus says, come close and I will set you free. Do not be afraid. And the response that we'll see a couple of times in this passage, the right response from Simon Peter is to say, I will leave everything, verse 11, and follow Jesus. It's remarkable, isn't it? This extraordinary, miraculous, never-before-seen catch, they just leave it. Because Jesus is worth so much more. And let's follow him. Don't be afraid are the first words Jesus says to the acknowledged sinner this morning. Don't be afraid. The second thing he says is, I am willing. As Jesus keeps going to set free the oppressed, those under the impact of sin and death in this world, showing who he is and why he's come, he comes to this man with leprosy, And Luke, the doctor, highlights for us not just a man with leprosy, but as our Bible says, a man covered in leprosy, or really a man who was full of leprosy. 
And someone who is full of leprosy in Jesus' day is not just in a position of sickness. They're not just struggling physically. Not only is it a terrible physical disease, but for leprosy in the first century and in the 21st century means social isolation. It means you're an outcast. It means religious exclusion. You cannot belong to the people of God and come into the temple. It means financial instability. You can't work and earn a living. So Jesus comes to this person with a physical disease, socially isolated, religiously excluded, financially unstable and once again, confronted with Jesus, we see this person fall to their face in recognition of who Jesus is and who they are. Jesus, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reaches out his hand and says, I am willing, be clean. And just as miraculously as two boatloads of fish, Jesus, with a word, sends this leprosy away. Jesus' willingness sees him undo for this man the effects of sin. He is setting the oppressed free. This man who throws himself on Jesus' mercy, which is a picture for all of us under the the oppressive reign of sin and death, shackled by the sin of our own making and simply the effects of living in a fallen world, Jesus says, I am willing. I am willing and thoroughly able. And as we keep seeing in the Gospel accounts, it's not every person, it's not every sickness that Jesus heals with a powerful word. Just as today, people all over the world and people in this room will know that Jesus doesn't promise physical healing for every person and every disease in the here and now. But what Jesus is showing in healing the sick and giving sight to the blind is that he really is the one who has come to set the world free through the forgiveness of sins and to give us a window into that eternal kingdom that he's establishing where every tear will be wiped away pointing us forward in hope to that time where there will be no mourning or crying or pain. There will be no more leprosy, no more sickness, no more blindness. Jesus gives a wonderful glimpse of the future that should cause us to rejoice and even in our own sickness and struggle to stretch out our necks in hope, longing for the day when every eye will be wiped of our tears. And we do so with utter assurance, look forward to that day. We look forward with utter assurance because Jesus is willing and Jesus is able and Jesus has authority on earth to forgive your sins and to declare you right with God. And as we heard in chapter 1, this is the gospel of peace and comfort and assurance and the new beginning that we can know forgiveness now. 
that Jesus can do that for this man and he can do it for you and me is highlighted once again in the third episode where Jesus says to the paralysed man, friend, your sins are forgiven. This is an episode that's recorded for us in all the Gospel accounts and for good reason, I think. Again, it's this picture, it's like um, a collection of all the religious leaders who are beginning to hear of Jesus' fame, uh, the famed Bible teacher and healer, the one claiming to be the servant of the Lord who's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And so the religious leaders and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law from all around the area have gathered to hear Jesus preach. And like I said, I, I get the sense that they're there with their arms crossed. Right? wanting to hear what it is that Jesus has to say. And no doubt they were distracted by the noise in the gathering as someone's trying to preach. And they look up to see the slats in the roof being opened and old mate that they've seen outside begging, being lowered down by his friends right in front of Jesus. It's hard to keep preaching with distraction like that, right? And everyone in the room knows why this guy's here. It's... it's plain and obvious that he's here to have his legs healed. It's what Jesus has been doing is he's gone around proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease. This guy and his friends know Jesus is the best shot. He's the only hope. And as he sits there with his need right in front of everybody in the room, Jesus says to him what no one was expecting, friend, your sins are forgiven. It's a blatant reminder for us, isn't it, what Jesus' priority is in his mission in the world? That if Jesus had said, friend, your sins are forgiven and left this guy paralysed on his mat, it still would have been the best day of this guy's life. having received from the Lord Jesus the forgiveness of his sins and the hope of sharing in his glory, the hope of one day walking and leaping and praising God. But the religious leaders with their arms crossed and their fingers pointed, thinking in their head, who does this guy think he is? ask exactly the right question. Because Jesus saying that this man's sins are forgiven, it's either blasphemous because he's claiming something that only God can claim. It's delusional because he's claiming something that's impossible for people to promise. Or it's the greatest news that the world has ever heard that God himself has stepped into his world with the free offer of forgiveness for anyone who would throw themselves on his mercy. Jesus is in thorough agreement with these religious leaders. You bet only God can forgive sins. And in verse 23, Jesus' uh, question is one of those Bible study questions that we love to wrestle with. Which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven or say get up and walk? Have you ever been in a Bible study with that question? 
And everyone likes to kind of wrestle with, you know, what do you think is easier? Which one's easier? They're both impossible, is Jesus' point. They're both impossible. It's easy for us to say your sins are forgiven because you, you can't see if that's actually taken place. But Jesus' point is that both these things are impossible for anyone other than him. But so that you know that I, the Son of Man, the one instilled with all the authority of God himself, that end times character who will reign over God's kingdom forever, the Son of Man, the Judge and Saviour, I have authority on earth, here and now, to forgive sins. And so that you will know that, I say to you, get up and walk. Jocelyn and I have both had mums in hospital this week, both having complicated surgeries, both being the recipients of extraordinary skill and amazing technology that these doctors can do Amazing things. It's, it's mind-boggling, right? But with all our knowledge and all our technology and all the skill of these world-class surgeons, both our mums are in for some serious rehab for long periods of time without the use of a hand and the use of a leg, both in extraordinary amounts of pain, with all our knowledge and all our technology and all the skill in the world, no one with a word can rejoin muscle tissue or heal bones or invigorate nerves except Jesus, the author of life, who says to this man, get up and walk and the tendons tighten and the muscle grows and the bones strengthen and the joints move and he does the right thing in glorifying God because only God can heal like that and only God can forgive like that and Jesus does both those things. Friend, your sins are forgiven. It's an amazing reality that the verdict of forgiveness that each of us need on that final day before the judge of all the world, that future verdict can be pronounced with great clarity and assurance and certainty here and now because Jesus, the Son of Man, has stepped into his world to provide forgiveness and assurance to those who would throw themselves on his mercy. Don't be afraid. I am willing. Your sins are forgiven. And the final thing that Jesus says to a repentant rebel is follow me. Pick it up with me at verse 27. Don't worry, Paul, we're nearly done. After this, verse 27, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi Sitting at his tax booth, follow me, he said. Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. 
Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. I have come to call the, not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Here is Levi, a tax collector. He's got money, he's got friends, probably regarded as a crook but no more than the others around him. He has friends and he has money but what he needs is Jesus. It's not about jumping over a bar of religious performance for Levi or moral improvement to stop being a scumbag, though that'll happen. It's not about being out of reach of God's love because you've betrayed your people. It's about accepting Jesus' forgiveness. And what this episode reminds us is that Levi, you know, wasn't sick and he wasn't poor and he had friends. It reminds us that no matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done, Jesus has come in the year of the Lord's favour, at the time of grace. It's the hour of forgiveness. And so whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, it's time to humble yourself before Jesus and to throw yourself on his mercy. And when that happens and your sins are forgiven and the shackles of sin and death are released and the burden of living in this broken world is lifted and placed on Jesus at the cross, the only logical response is to say to Jesus, I'll leave everything to follow you. Now for most of us, that's not going to mean physically leaving everything to follow Jesus. But it means making sure that Jesus is that in that number one seat in your life. That with everything that you are and everything that you have, that you want to give it to him and to, to lay it at his feet and to invest it in his kingdom in response to this extraordinary grace and unspeakable assurance And this wonderful news that forgiveness is possible. Not because you can or you can't jump over God's bar. But because Jesus the Saviour says, do not be afraid. I am willing. Your sins are forgiven. So follow me. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for these wonderful words of the Lord Jesus and ask that each and every one of us this morning would know the comfort and the assurance of our sins forgiven because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We pray that you would help us to take to heart that wonderful promise that we don't be afraid, that that Jesus is willing, that our sins are forgiven and help us to respond to that call in light of your grace to leave everything and to follow Jesus. Amen.